electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, $10 trillion. $10 trillion. It's the staggering amount of money lost in U.S. stocks this year. The worst for your money since 2008, and it's been a top-heavy takedown, too. Apple, Microsoft, many of the other mega caps accounting for the biggest share of that suffering. Will there be a reversal in 23? We debate that today with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Rob Seachin, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal with me here at Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. We're at session lows. We'll show you what the stock market is doing right now. Dow's down 230. We are barely hanging on to 33,000. The S&P 500 is below 3,800. That's a loss of 30 points. NASDAQ is down by a little more than 1%. Yields been ticking up lately, too. Today, 386. Joe, I turn to you first. So session lows, there was a report that you flagged to me earlier, a Bloomberg report of 50% of passengers arriving in Milan from China on two different planes positive with COVID. It just goes to where sentiment is. Doesn't take much to shake up this market right now. No, it completely underscores just just how concerning uh, sentiment is in the market. And and why is that important uh, to introduce into this conversation? Because there's a correlation between sentiment, measuring or taking the temperature of sentiment, and therefore answering the question of 2023, is the market going to reverse? The answer lies in, are people more willing to take risk in this environment? And I don't see how you can. I still think that defensive positioning, as defensively oriented as you could be within your portfolio, as an investor, and certainly Tesla has taught us as a trader in the last several days, that is really the only strategy that you could be implementing. So you're not going to step out on the risk curve and really get those animal spirits lifted at any point in the near term. I don't know. You 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 you're sort of your chair pivoted towards Jim, as you said that because Jim has been making the case that you should be a little bit further out on the risk curve than many others would suggest because he is not nearly as negative uh, on the environment that you are, right? And and you still maintain that view? I, I do, but you know it's interesting. Joe used the word sentiment, and yeah. I think that's important right now. Um, I'm looking at our rundown, right? And I'm looking at our year-to-date numbers, and I think this is important for sentiment. If you look at the S&P 500 down 19.5%, hey, that sucks. I mean, there's no way to say it other than that. But look at the two numbers above and below it, all right? The NASDAQ is down 33.5%, which is where this terrible sentiment comes from, okay? And we're talking about Tesla, and you listed out a lot of stocks that have gone down. But look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, up 8.5%. Excuse me, down 8.5%. 
It's a 25 percentage point drop. Now, I think there are two things that are going on here, both of which are likely to resolve earlier in the new year. One is the overall concern about a recession induced by the Fed. That's a rational concern. I've gone through reasons why I think maybe that doesn't happen. Not that it definitely doesn't happen, but maybe it doesn't happen. But the other thing, and these numbers are screaming it to me, and Tesla is screaming it to me, is that there has been a growth-to-value leadership transition going on. It's very painful when that happens for a specific reason. People, when they buy the dips, if people have tried to do that this year, they go back to what worked for the last decade. And what worked the last decade? Fang stocks. I mean, it's really that simple. And that's been where the carnage has been that's led the NASDAQ to underperform the Dow Jones by 25%. There is a perspective that everything is going to come under pressure in, in the new year once, you know, the overall market gets gets real with the fact of, of what global central banks are doing. I've mentioned it on various shows over the last you know few days. It's sort of this David Tepper perspective about why he came on the network last week, and he, and he doesn't come on all that often. And when he does, he's got something to say. Yeah. And this was yeah. a don't fight the Fed or central bank moment for him. Why do you continue to want to fight it? Well, a, a couple of things to think about here. One is, and first off, let's applaud David Tepper because there is that Christmas Eve of 2018 call, which was the exact reverse, right? So there's credibility to what he says. We've raised, or the U.S. Fed has raised 425 basis points. Now, I know they're saying 5.1%, but here's what's actually going on. And this, as I say these numbers, this is going to catch some people by surprise. This economy is actually accelerating right now. I know you're going to say, what the, what is he talking about? Okay. That can't be good. Wait, well, let me just finish the thought process. I know where you're going. So third quarter, G- right. third Go quarter GDP, 3.2%. The Atlanta Fed GDP now is at 3.7%. You've got MasterCard yesterday saying that uh, holiday spending was up 7.6% year over year. All of this is happening, and I'm speaking to what Joe just said here, while inflation is coming down. Cleveland Fed uh, forecast for December is a 0.1% increase in uh, headline CPI. Now, the Fed, I know, they have said 5 If they don't get there, if they look at the inflation numbers coming down and they choose not to go there, maybe they do 225 basis points instead, that will be not the first time they've changed their mind. And I'm not criticizing them. I'm saying this is not a Fed that always does what they say they do. And to your point, overall, if it's 225s left, I think this market will get wind of that quickly and start to rally in anticipation. The risk, of of course, Kerry, that that it's going to be much more than that that it's going to be uh, higher for a much longer period. But let's deal with the here and now before we even get to the calendar turn. This idea of a Santa Claus rally, are we fully throwing in the towel on that idea at, at this moment? Definitely running out of time. I mean, we have an awful long way to go in order to call anything much of a rally. So even for the people who are bullish and you know, I, I like to feel bullish when I can, but, you, you know, there, there's nothing really exciting to look at here. We still have tax loss selling. I mean, just as an example, um, look, you know, look what's happened to Tesla in the last couple of weeks. And I know we're going to talk about that. But uh, but I would like to point this out because I, I did what I would call an informal poll, meaning every time I've watched CNBC over the last week, I have um, put people who speak like us, in two columns, the ones who are very defensive and those who are bullish. And there are many check marks on the defensive side, almost none on the optimistic side. 
almost for every good, strategist for good reason, though, right? or marketplace. For good reason, though, uh, I understand right? that. But however, however, if you go back in time and you look what the pro prognosticators and the experts say at the end of the year about what they expect for the following year, they're almost always wrong. It's, it's not necessarily a good bet to say, I'm going to stick with the consensus, what everybody is saying to do right now. That, and I, okay. I feel that people have gone too negative. There's too that, much negativism. And that is yeah. a very, what very seeing, fair view. That is a fair view and one that is shared by one Ed Yardeni, who I mentioned it the other day. It's like, look, I could come up with 500 reasons why I should be negative now because every single person other than Jim and a few others is negative. Um, but that's reason enough to think that there might be a contrarian view that could come to fruition next year. History is on the side of suggesting that a down year is not followed by another down year, although maybe this time Rob, in fact, is different. I don't know if you've thrown in your own towel on this idea of any kind of rally to finish the year. Santa Claus rally, by the way, is supposed to be the last five of the year and then the first two or three of the new year. So we have some major work to do if we're going to put anything together, unless, Rob, you think the wall is just simply too high to scale. Well, we definitely think Santa Claus got run over by the reindeer, Scott. But I would tell you it's best not to read too much into this week's market activity. You have to wait until early next year as we get into earnings season, first two to three weeks of January, and we get fourth quarter 22 EPS. But more importantly, we get guidance companies' guidance about the health of demand, their ability to navigate an uncertain environment, meaning how will they defend margins. And the street is still expecting 2023 EPS to grow at 3 to 5% to $234. We think that's way too optimistic. And we think it's going to be likely that we come in at 220 on the high end of the range and 200 on the low end of the range. The first implies no recession in 23. The, the second implies a mild recession. And remember, the market is not the economy. We could still have broad economic growth continue to be resilient, as Jim points out. But see earnings flat to down and margins falling. And as margins fall, pricing power fades. Look at Tesla, look at Nike, talking about discounting, with costs remaining elevated. And so markets are expensive. We think it's very likely that sometime in the first quarter we retest those lows. Of course, if the Fed pauses, of course, negative positioning matters for kind of brief rallies and recoveries. But without the support of the Fed, the support of the Fed, not the pause of the Fed, without the support of the Fed, we don't think that you're going to see the broad markets um, valuations have to have to be a ceiling. And so there's going to be dispersions between winners and losers, and the winners are those that can execute. And so price matters, execution matters, and that's where we're placing our bets. I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree that it's going to come down to those who can execute and those can't, winners, losers, and the dispersion, because you could easily say, well, the, I mean, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, they're good executors. NVIDIA, they're good executors. Uh, but, and but, yet but, of the $10 but, trillion, dollars that, uh, hold on, unless uh, of the $10 trillion that I led the show off saying that we lost in U.S. stocks this year, seven stocks accounted for 60% of those losses. There's no reason to believe, Rob, that the tech stocks that have, have seen the greatest upset, many having their worst year since 08, 
are going mm -hmm. to have a better 23 than they did here, regardless of how well they execute. The environment well, is well, different. Well, the shift, as Jim said, has has moved to, to more of a value orientation than a growth one, given the environment that we're in. Agree with all that. And the reason tech's not going to lift, lift us out is because it's expensive. That's why we're neutral tech considering an underweight. Broad sector trends are so weak. Absolute and relative performance is rolling over. Valuations are still expensive. Ch text trades at a 21% premium to the market still. Think about that. Last time interest rates were this high, tech traded in line. Earnings are lackluster. We're going to see declining earnings for tech in 23, and this S&P is still expecting plus 5%. Why? Because they pulled forward demand uh, during the pan pandemic, and they've been the first to fire, the first to cut costs. Why? Because they've overgrown and they overspent. And so there's this giant risk that tech won't be as resilient in the next recession compared to the pandemic because that was unique in how supportive it was. The era of being blindly overweight tech, which is a big part of the market, right, is over. This is a men from the boys market as it relates to technology. We're going to see far more dispersion Women. between winners and losers. And so Carrie. you gotta, you got to pick the winners. Carrie, I hear you. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, Rob, you got to include the ladies in that, okay? Uh, but I, I would I would tell you that the fact that tech, uh, if you're even weight tech, Rob, it's your largest sector, right? I mean, it is still the largest sector in the market, even though it's been, you know, chopped in half as, as uh, companies have gone into communication services and you know, Amazon, which is sort of tech, is indiscretionary. That's where the growth in, in the country is, still in technology. And I'm not suggesting that these stocks weren't very overvalued. But to say that Google, as an example, selling its 16 times forward earnings is less attractive than you know, Coke or Pepsi, great companies, but they sell at high 20s multiples for much less growth. I mean, I, I'm just not sure that you can still make the, the same case when stocks that have expanded their multiple by 50 to 100 percent are, are trading relative to stocks that are where the companies are growing 10 to 20 percent earnings. Well, um, and okay. they've come down so much in price. That, it's a different market a, today a, than it was a, a year a, ago. It, that's very fair, too, and it's a great point, because those who suggest that, you know, the defensive landscape has changed, too. You can't just blindly say anymore, well, just go buy staples because the environment is sketch. And, you know, mm -hmm. you need to go into those kind of areas because a lot of those stocks, to Kerry's point, have gotten quite expensive relative to where they were before. You want to make a point, Joe? Yeah, I think we're having the right conversation now. I don't think this is about in or out. I don't think you believe that. I don't think any of us believe that. Most of us are long-only mm -hmm. managers. I'll give Steve Weiss credit. Steve Weiss has the flexibility. He's nimble enough to say, I want to be out. Kudos to him. That's not where we are. We're talking about how. And to your point on value, I say replace the word value with defense. That's just my personal perspective. You say you can't be everywhere defensively. I totally agree with that. So that's where you have to look for opportunities in taxable fixed income and go geographically. And where is all of that rooted in? The concern that I have for 2023 is simple. So far, year to date, it's not about the Federal Reserve raising another 25, another 50, or another 100. It's the simple fact that year to date, they said they were going to do 
$560 billion of quantitative tightening. They've only done $350 billion year to date. If you're right and the economy's strong, they are going to accelerate that pace. You have rates that are rising. Mortgage borrowers do not prepay in that environment. Therefore, there's less securities that mature and roll off the balance sheet. What does that mean? The biggest risk in 2023, the Fed is an active seller of MBS. That is going to strain Look, liquidity part conditions. Of my, part of my point in the, in the conversation about where and how to be defensive in an uncertain environment is the places where you could hide before you can't. It was mega cap tech. Correct. That's defensive. It was. It's not now. Staples. It Defensive traditionally, is it really now? Valuations have gotten stretched. So some of these, you have to go further out. I don't even necessarily think it's the right way to say on the risk curve of defensive places in the market because the tried and true easy ones have been picked off. I, I you think can't do that now. You also have to say what is the characteristic of the particular equity that makes it defensive. In the case of the mega caps, it's the fact that you had a low rate environment. And in a low rate environment, you're searching for growth. You're searching for companies that are doing buybacks. Look, I, I, I know you hate it when I say this, but I think you're both right. All right, the traditional defensives, there's no place to be <laughs> defensive. But to the point that Joe is making, and this something personal I feel, when we say, hey, you've lost $10 trillion in the stock market this year. No, you haven't. Not unless you've sold Apple here. Not unless you've sold Google here. Most people like me, are, excuse me, most long-term investors like me are looking at Apple, which I cut in half three months ago, and saying, I'm fine holding it from here and letting it recover or some of the more, you know, uh, let's say treacherous names that have done worse this year. Something like a Cleveland Cliffs where the operations are going fabulously. They just raised prices. I'm fine letting that come back to and exceeding its high from earlier this year. I feel very confident that it will. So I haven't lost money until I sell. I'm glad you, well, on paper which feels crappy too. Let's not kid ourselves, right? A lot of If you're a long-term investor, I, I know long-term investors. Okay. I don't I care know. what kind of investor you are. You if you're looking at significant I'm losses you, on your like a long -term in investor. paper, you feel you feel terrible. Sure you do, but it's not how like about, you've about lost that care. money. That's fine. How about healthcare? Um, I'm glad you mentioned I'm glad you hang on. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Apple because it's at its lowest level since June 21 and maybe in some sense it it holds part of the key about what next year holds for the market. Our technology correspondent Steve Kovac is uh, plugged in there, as, as all of you know, on, on what that story might be. Steve, uh, it's been a hard story this year. Do you have any feel <laughs> on what the challenges are going to be in 2023 for, for Apple? Yeah, let me, uh, let me throw out some of the things that we think or know are going to happen, Scott, and Jim can see if he sees anything he likes here. So first of all, <laughs> it's going to be, we know this quarter is basically a wash with the iPhones. We know the production uh, problems in China have caused them to miss their sales estimates. The big question now on the iPhone front is, can that the demand that they say continues to be strong, does that carry forward into the next quarter? People who missed buying those iPhones in time for Christmas, are they going to go ahead and pick one up in January, February, or March? That's the first question. Then we got some more catalysts or potential catalysts coming on the services side. So I'm curious what you guys think about this, especially within fintech. The Apple Pay Later, the Buy Now Pay Later, a firm competitor product is finally supposed to launch here in a couple months. And another fintech product, this is really interesting. They kind of surprised everyone announcing this. It's a high yield savings account tied to your Apple card. So when you get that cash back after your purchases from an Apple card, 
card, it goes right into this high yield savings account. So that's another financial product. And then looking to the second half of the year, guys, their first major new hardware computing platform since the Apple Watch in 2015, that augmented reality headset we keep hearing about. It sounds like it's finally going to happen in the second half of the year. And my take on this, guys, is we saw what Meta did this year with these VR, MR, Metaverse headsets. They failed to really give us a compelling reason to run out and buy one. What is Apple's compelling reason going to be? That's that's going to be the big question moving forward because it's still an unproven technology and an expensive technology, guys. You know, the other issue that I want you to speak to, if you could, is, is China. Yeah. And what has been an overhang for what feels like, you know, a few years now, given the pandemic, this, these headlines that we talked about at the top of our program, just yesterday we're feeling great about the fact that China loosens these restrictions for incoming travelers. You just have to wonder about how uh, lumpy, I think is an appropriate word to use, that, that, it, that policy is going to be throughout the year. You've got like a million cases at least a day, new, in China. If you have continued outages of factories where they're trying to put out iPhones, you're going to have the continued narrative, Steve, overhanging of supply, supply, supply. Yeah, exactly. And look, all their eggs are still mostly in the China basket. But we have seen throughout the last couple of months, Scott, of them making way, or improvements to their supply chain, diversifying it outside of China as a kind of hedge against these uh, policies by the government there, whether it's shutdowns or reopenings or, or what have you that have been causing all these problems uh, throughout the entire year. So India has become a really uh, renewed source of iPhone production for them. They're not making those pros there. They are making the the lower end models there, the regular iPhone 14s. But for the first time, they started making it pretty much at the same time uh, as the launch, which gives uh, confidence to people watching their supply chain that they can keep expanding in countries like India. And then when it comes to the accessories, things like uh, AirPods and watches and HomePods and things like that, Vietnam and Malaysia are becoming really hot points for them to move out of China. But again, they are still so tied to China and they're really going to have to work through through uh, these things. I mean, I, I keep thinking back to those awful pictures we saw just last month around Thanksgiving about those protesters who were getting beaten. And I mean, that is not something Apple wants to see their workers go through. That's not something customers want to see their workers go through. I guess one good sign about this travel reopening is Apple executives need to go to China a lot to work through these issues. This will make it easier for them to travel from Cupertino over into China. Yeah. Steve, I appreciate it very much. That's Steve Kovac with a look on Apple. Rob, why don't you button this up for us? You own it, uh, obviously. So give me your thought. I mean, at the end of 21, everyone flocked into Apple because they thought it was a bond replacement. Now the air is coming out of that. Um, we think it's a high quality name that we'd love to be overweight. We're not overweight right now. We're slightly underweight, but we need to see valuation come in. We love quality, but not quality at every price. And Apple's trading at a 30% premium to the market. Let's not forget, in 16, it traded at a 40% discount. So when you buy it matters. We don't think today's that day. We think we still want to own what we have, but a slight underweight. Okay. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to look at Jim Leventhal before we go to break, and I'm going to give you a chance to save yourself, okay? Because I'm getting several texts about what you said a few moments ago about not having lost money if you haven't sold. Because if you look an investor in the face that you're managing money for. Which I do every day, so let's not make it hypothetical. and And the 
the right. portfolio is down a lot at the end of the year, like most are this year. Yep. All right, it's I hard it. to can convince I, I, somebody that look, you haven't experienced losses because you haven't sold stocks. Okay. Yeah. If you're down, you feel like garbage. Yeah. And a lot of people feel mm -hmm. like garbage this year. Okay. So I just want to throw yeah. it back to you before we let that hang out there. Yeah, so a couple of things here. And that was a long question, so you got to give me time to answer, Go ahead. right? Look, when you, <laughs> when, a stock go, when you buy a stock, you have to realize it can go down at any point in time. And any investor who comes to me and says, why did you recommend, I'll pick a name, General Motors. Why did you recommend that at 45, at seven times earnings? And I go through a long list of, of reasons why in stating the dividend, how well Cruise is doing, how many EVs they're rolling out, how much pent up demand is. I can look that investor in the eye and say, you're looking at the wrong time frame from 45 to 33. You're looking at the wrong time frame. Now, I have to answer to you about this question right now, but you're not my investor. My investors know from my long track record that when I say something like General Motors or Paramount or Cleveland Cliffs is worth multiples of what it is right now, they believe me based on my track record. I will defend that all day long. They don't look at me and say I've lost money in no, General no, Motors. No, no, but my point is not that. Of course, your, your track record speaks for itself and you're, you're an honorable person. Or, uh, uh, let's just put that out on the table. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is when you suggest, uh, and you said it, I think, almost exactly this way, I haven't lost money this year because I haven't sold. What I said was, I don't like the expression that people have lost $10 trillion in the stock market. And what I also said is long-term investors like me think like me. I don't know who you're getting texts from, okay? I don't know. But I speak to long-term investors all day long. I don't speak to short-term traders. It's not that I don't like them and they don't like me. We're, it, it's like an apple talking to an iceberg. It's just not the same conversation. If you're a long-term investor, you look at temporary losses and the thing you say is don't make the mistake of taking a temporary loss and turning it into a permanent well, loss. there's a difference between looking at a loss that you have and selling. That doesn't make the loss feel any better because you didn't sell. It, the loss is the Scott, loss I'm that you feel. I'm not saying that anybody feels good right now, and I don't feel that's good. Part, what that, I'm but saying, that's though. part of the whole issue of, of what we're talking about in the market itself. The, the sentiment around this year is so bad because so many people have lost, whether it's on paper, People mark to market all the time, whether it's on paper or whatever. Okay, let me, let me say this. Do people still feel bad about 2008? Do you still feel bad about it? I don't, I've moved on, the markets are much higher, okay? And my point is, a year is an arbitrary measure. It's been a lousy year. It's one that frankly, if I'm right about the recession, doesn't make any sense. And when we're looking back two years from now, maybe next year, we're gonna look at this conversation and say, I hope you didn't sell. But in 2008, you did not say, I'm betting the, the farm, no pun intended, on the fact that, well, in 2020, 21, 2021, things are gonna be great, so I don't feel bad, and I didn't lose anything in 08 because they're gonna be great because I'm a long-term investor. The average investor who has experienced the kind of year that we've all experienced this year feels terrible. 
feels horrible, I'm not, I'm not whether they're a long-term investor or not. The distinction I was making, which started this whole conversation, is not that you should feel good about this year, and I don't. The point that I'm making is it's a loss when you sell. Now, sometimes you have to sell a stock. I sold PayPal many points higher. I sold Twilio many points higher because they were going further down, in my opinion. So price Hang on, Joe. Hang on. Oh, I, have no, I have not sold Paramount. I have not, I have not sold Paramount. I have not sold Cleveland Cliffs. I have not sold General Motors. You want to know why? Because I believe they're going up. Now, this is the point, and I'm not looking for plaudits, but when I say about my track record, and when I tell you we've argued about this all year long about Paramount, Paramount, that it's worth multiples of where it is right now, that's based on my analysis of what they're doing. I could be wrong, and I'll eat it if I have to, but what I'm saying is the worst mistake somebody can make right now is take a temporary loss and say, I've lost money, I'm going to sell it, and then watch it recover. And that's what happened to people in 2008. That's what happened. Right. All right. Glad we had that word. Uh, let's have a break. Let's take a break. Tesla is trying to fight off its eighth straight losing session. It's never done that before. It's down seven in a row coming into today. It's been down like 10 of 11. It's having the worst month, the worst quarter, the worst year ever. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. We need to talk about Tesla. It is trying to mount a rebound of sorts. It was up early morning, then it was down, and now it's, we'll just call it flat. It's up about 1%. But again, it would be its eighth straight day of losses. That would be the worst losing streak ever. So, Joe, you were with me in overtime yesterday. For those who were not with us then, but who are now, you have it in the Joe T. I know you are actively reassessing it. Say what you can, given the regulatory parameters that you have to operate under. All I could say is that this quarter is the most significant loss of momentum for a stock that I've witnessed since 2000. Beyond that, I will be with you on the last day of January, and at that point, we will discuss what I do with Tesla. I will channel my Bill Belichick and just finish by saying- On to Cincinnati. With, no, on to Miami. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, Rob Seachin, when you watch this story play out, and it clearly is the stock of the week. What are your thoughts? 
I think it's pretty remarkable how quickly Tesla has gone from a way too much demand, not enough supply, to now having too much supply and not enough demand. And they're cutting prices. You know, for me, it's we don't own Tesla. So it's more about what is the read through to the consumer, a high ticket item facing weakening demand. You what know what? Here's mean? what I'm going to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you because I should have asked you a better question. My, my question would be this. The stock is down a ton. OK, it's down like 70 percent or whatever on the year. Mm -hmm. All right. You're managing money for people. But that's what we that's what you guys do. Somebody says to you today, this stock is down 70 percent. I still believe in Musk. I still think this is a groundbreaking and revolutionary product that he has. And he has a ginormous head start over the others who want to get in the arena with with him. Why shouldn't we buy the stock today, Rob? What, what do you say? I, I think it's become politically charged. I think you might have a better opportunity to buy it at a lower price. But to Jim's point, if you have the right time horizon and this is a stock that meets your fundamental characteristics and you want to own it and you love Elon, by all means, be my guest. So what would you, what would you so say? I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to take you into the office with Mark Fisher and I. Someone comes into the office and suggests exactly what you just say. Our response to them would be, how much would you like to buy? I'd like to buy 500 shares. Okay, buy 50. That's, that, that's the right risk management action. If you really want to buy it and you think to yourself, you want to buy that much, you want to buy 100 shares, only buy 10. What would you say, Jim? Well, I'm glad you brought this up because the example I was making about General Motors, the corollary to that or the opposite is why didn't I buy Tesla two years ago when it was on its way up? And the answer was if it went down, as now it has, all right, I would not be able to look the investor in the eye and explain why I bought a car company at 60 times earnings <laughs> when every other car company sells towards six times earnings. Now, I know there are people, this may be why Joe's giggling a little bit, I know there are people who say it's a technology company. Foo, it is not a technology company, or Fooey is what I meant to say. It is not a technology company. It bends metal into the shape of a car. Happens to be cobalt, lithium instead of steel. Big deal. It's a car company. It should be trading at six or seven times earnings. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do our chart of the day. It's a travel stock that keeps going down, at least this week. Down nearly 10%, in fact, this week. Plus, our experts are getting ready to grade your trade. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The new coalition government in Israel putting West Bank settlement expansion at the top of its priority list. The incoming hardline government led by Benjamin Netanyahu released its plan a day being sworn into office and voted to annex more land and approve new settlements in the disputed territory. 
The co-leader of the conspiracy to kidnap Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, was just sentenced to more than 19 years in prison for his role in the plot. Barry Croft Jr. was convicted in August of conspiracy to commit kidnapping and possessing an unregistered explosive. Croft's co-defendant was sentenced to 16 years in prison yesterday. And Novak Djokovic is back down under to prepare to compete in the Australian Open. This comes a year after the tennis star was deported for refusing to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Djokovic has been granted a visa by the Australian government as the country has lifted strict rules for unvaccinated travelers. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. I appreciate it, Seema. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. Let's get to our chart of the day now. It's Southwest Airlines under pressure again today, canceling more than 2,500 flights today. It's been a terrible week, as we know. Uh, nobody here owns Southwest. But by the way, Carrie, you know, a lot of airline, hotel and travel stocks are down huge in, in December. Among them, uh, Expedia is down 19. You own Booking. TripAdvisor is down 15. What's your thought on this space right now? Most of it's pretty bad. I mean, booking is held up well. I think it's the best performing stock within the whole travel group. Uh, none of them have been good, but this is down 16.5% year to date. Market's down about 20%. Uh, it trades for under 16 times earnings for next year. And, you know, we still like it. Um, it's, it's an asset-like company. It has good margins that those margins can improve. And there's still plenty of travel. And with the dollar... Weakening somewhat, I think that's good for European travelers. On, on the Southwest story, uh, I really think that, unfortunately, Southwest, which has a point-to-point -point system rather than a hub-and-spoke system, probably has 15 to 20 percent routes that are uneconomic, considering that interest rates have gone up and airlines are much among the biggest uh, leasers of planes, so interest rates really matter a lot. Uh, they have labor costs that have gone up across the board, and fuel costs have been higher than they have been in, in years over the past year. So uh, I don't know how they're going to survive with the same route system over the next right. year. They're going to have to cut yep. it back pretty considerably in order to get their, um, their profits back. Jim, uh, you got Alaska, you got Delta, you know, most of these stocks in this space month to date have uh, taken it on the chin to say the least. You know, it could be the storm. It could be what you were quoting earlier about China COVID cases. I think this is simpler than that. I think this is this lingering fear of a recession. Will it happen? If it does, these stocks are going lower. If it doesn't, if there's either the rolling recession or growth slowdown, these stocks are uh, meaningfully underpriced. Now, I listen to what the CEOs are saying. They're bullish on demand. I look at TSA traveler throughput every day. It's approaching 2019 levels, not including the storm days of this past week. So the recession has yet to show up in the airline sector. Quick. I, I just think corporate travel changed in the wake of the pandemic forever. And I think we have to give consideration to that if you want to own the airlines. Yeah. Okay. Up next, we're grading your trade. You can keep sending them to us as well. You can find us on Twitter or email us. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We'll do it next. All right, let's grade your trade. Carrie, you're up first, okay? A viewer says, I invested in some shares of Salesforce on October 27th. My cost base is 164, so the trade's down 20 plus percent since then. What do you say now? 
Well, first, I'm sorry that you've lost money in it. Um, join, join the crowd. I mean, it's been one of the worst performing stocks in the S&P 500. In part, next year, most, most of the time, the stocks that are in the bottom uh, tenth of S&P um, stocks do better in the following year. It's selling for 24 times earnings now. The multiple's way down. Clients deferred uh, closing sales. I think that will happen. And there's a lot of activist movement to get more profitability out of Salesforce. So I would buy more. Yes. Okay, Rob, for you, uh, we got a viewer email. Recently purchased Pfizer, assuming it would be up by 10% from current price within 12 months. Has a 3.2% dividend, is 70% owned by institutions. So it's up 7% in the past couple of months. What's your take on this trade in Pfizer? Yeah, we, we like it. We own it. Um, healthcare is one of the cheapest defensive areas. Pfizer trades at sub 11 times forward earnings um, and there's attractive opportunities considering the forward growth outside the COVID related products. So we own it, like it, like the trade. Hey. Okay. Joe, to you from Joseph in Mitchellville, Maryland. I have a cost basis on Enphase Energy of $227 buying lots from April 6th to December 7th. I'm looking to add to the position on the 10 week line, but it's broken through. No. No, Joseph, you're not, you're, not buying, you're not buying more in this stock. You've got a 20% gain. I want you to protect that gain, whether you're using a 200-day moving average at 243 or maybe a 5% stop above your entry price. In either case, that's the discipline. That's the sell strategy you need to have. Protect your winning position. All right, that's great. My trade, keep them coming, please. A reminder again, send us an email. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. Coming up next, it's Santoli's Midday Word. We're back after this. All right, Michael Santoli is here at Post 9 for his Midday Word. It's kind of a punk market, man. It's I mean, can't kind get of stuck. Going. Um, last eight trading days, the low for the day is 3,800 on the S&P, plus or minus 1%. It's right where we are. Um, clearly, that was supposed to be the period where you had some tailwinds not showing up. Um, obviously, the verdict isn't in, but it shows you the theme of the entire year, which is the biggest stocks, the most crowded stocks one year ago are the source of most of the pressure. The equal weighted S&P is outperforming the S&P by six percentage points on a, uh, on a, since the high. Um, that's not insignificant. Um, so I would suggest that that's, the, that's what worked this year. And I think one of the big questions for next year is, is that going to continue? Are bonds going to crash again? Most likely not to the degree they did. So maybe that's some kind of a buffer uh, right here. And I think we're just trying to figure out um, when the selling gets used up in, in some of the NASDAQ 100 type like stuff. Tesla? Because it just keeps following. Yeah, Tesla, Apple. I mean, you know, Microsoft was up 2.5% this morning and then it dipped mm. into the red. It's not because of any reason. This is because of the mechanics of people selling where there's downside momentum and feeling as if there's no valuation support right here. You're, you're hitting some levels on some stocks where, you know, you didn't think things necessarily could go. Yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, the, the Tesla's, you know, where, where it is breaking down below 110. Yes. And then having some come on the network and say, well, I mean, you know, could it go to 75? Uh, maybe. Well, this is the result of, again, it being up a couple thousand percent in a couple of years before it peaked. Um, so for Tesla, it's a unique case, I think. Um, when it comes to other stocks or the broad market, I think the pre-pandemic levels are, are relevant, where we are relative to those. On a two-year basis, the S&P is up like one 
to 2%, right, price-wise. So it's still not as if you've completely surrendered uh, a lot of gains. In fact, on a three-year basis, David Tepper mentioned this last week, right, you're up 7.5% annualized total return on the S&P. So you can look at that as a bright side and say, you know, this is, this is why you invest over a multi-year period. On the, on the downside, maybe there's more air to come out if, in fact, you've only given back that much. Yeah, I'll see you in a few uh, hours for your last word. That's, That's Mike good. Santoli. Up next, we're finding opportunities in the market. We'll talk to Carrie about some hard-hit stocks and the exact one she is looking at now. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. I said Carrie had some buying opportunities that she thinks may exist in this market. Carrie, let's talk about some of these. Stocks you like. Uh, PayPal, First Republic, Fortiv, Amex, Wabtec, sure. Schwab. Pick one or two out of there. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll give you one on, on I, I'd say, both sides. Align is a stock that we bought recently, uh, I think maybe two and a half to three months ago. Uh, stock was down, you know, 65, 70%, was down from 700 to 200. Leader in clear liners. Uh, big market for them is China. So they got really crushed with COVID shutdowns in China. And it's a tech stock. It's a healthcare name also, but technology stock came way down. It's 25 or 26 times next year's earnings. We think there's a lot of potential, still leader in the field. And if you're looking for a growth name and it's still growing and it earns money, that's the name we would like. Um, American Express, okay, so that's uh, only uh, thing in common is the A, uh, sells at 13 and a half times earnings. It's been an outperformer. It's down only 9% this year. Uh, we've owned it all year. Benefits from travel, uh, which, of course, people are doing more traveling. Bank has a lot of deposits, makes more money because of interest rates going up. Um, they have grown with the millennials and, um, you know, I'd say every generation. It's not just a boomer card. It's not just like me, you know, buying things with my American Express card. It's everybody. Um, you, Scott, and everybody on the panel and people watching all, all love American Express cards. A lot of safety and privacy and control there. So we think at this price, uh, it should be a great stock for next year. All right. Do not miss, by the way, Carrie's op-ed on CNBC.com titled, A Murky Year Looms Ahead for Investors, and This is How They Should Proceed in 2023. Please go check that out on CNBC.com slash pro to read that. Also, a reminder, next week on Halftime, we're kicking off our annual stock summit. We'll debate the stocks and sectors the committee has the most conviction in for 2023. We'll step away. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Now, I hope you'll join me a few hours from now in overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. We got Adam Parker coming on with his year ahead look for stocks. Also, what's the real story with these new, these new COVID cases in China? We gave those headlines to you earlier. Dr. Scott Gottlieb's going to join us on whether investors need to be concerned about that, especially when we're just talking about the reopen or loosening of restrictions there. He's going he's to give us a reality check on exactly what's happening. And Casey Newton, too. You'll be here on the darkening skies in Silicon Valley. Got that Instacart valuation marked down today. Was $39 billion last year, marked down to 10 today. That reckoning is still coming in the valley. Those private valuations are a lag, and we'll talk about all of that, and I hope you'll join me then. All right, Carrie, give me a final trade, please. I'm sticking with the A's. American Waterworks, it's the leading public water utility. The stock 
took a hit when interest rates started to go up, and we see it recovering, and we see water as a continuing high demand as far in the future as we can see. Okay, thank you. Rob Seachin. Danaher, um, great compounding growth company in the healthcare sector that can self-fund if it gets to be a difficult financing environment. It's down a lot, more reasonably valued. Okay. Joey T. Rob, I heard you screaming for healthcare. Amerisource Bergen, ABC, healthcare company. I heard that too. We just couldn't do it at that moment. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, the good farmer. Uh, Boeing continues to fight hard through this market on the back of orders and certifications. All right. Good stuff, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for watching. I'll see you in, the, uh, in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.